This is K.M. Whiteland, and you're listening to the 309th episode of the Helping Writers Become Authors podcast. I had a lot of fun this month sharing my potential back cover blurbs for storming with all of you and getting your feedback on which you thought was the best. Now that that's under our belt, I got to move on to commissioning the cover art from my go-to cover guys at Demonza, where, by the way, you can get a 5% discount if you use the affiliate link in the right-hand sidebar of my site and the code HWBA5. I have been super excited about the cover possibilities for this book pretty much ever since I came up with the idea. So it's kind of heady now to know the first draft options could be arriving in my inbox any day now. I'll try to share them with you guys as well and get your take. In the meantime, if you see a very red-faced writer walking around, that's me holding my breath in anticipation. The latest post in the video series on my blog is Warning. Your poor choice of your character's goal is killing your story. It talks about the crucial difference between your character's goal in the overall story and within individual scenes and how getting the two mixed up can irremediably endanger your book's success. To find the post, visit my site at helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com. And now I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast entitled How to Edit Fiction. Watch me correct my own story in real time. Teaching writers how to edit fiction is one of those things that can be surprisingly counterintuitive. Most books and articles about editing are actually nothing more or less than books and articles on good writing. After all, the fundamentals of good self-editing are the fundamentals of good writing. The skill set for good editing is no different from that of good writing. An understanding of grammar and style, knowledge about character development, awareness of story structure, and the je ne sais quoi necessary to make narrative pop. That's all fine and good. The more we know about that stuff, the better we'll be at both writing and editing. The downside is all this wonderful writing advice can sometimes end up being more than a little, shall we say, general, when you, what you really need are tips on how to edit fiction. That's why today I'm going to share with you the real-time editing process for one of my daily writing sessions from my historical superhero work in progress, Wayfair. Every day before starting a writing session, I take the time to first edit what I wrote the previous day. These quick edits are my first pass through the rough draft. So I'm not content editing so much as cleaning up the prose, getting rid of my obviously bad ideas, and putting the initial shine on my emerging diamonds. If you visit my website at helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com, you can see the full screenshot of my edits for this section of the story, which I've marked using words track changes feature. And note that not all of my corrections will make sense out of context of the main story, and some, such as my mini tweaks of word choice to better reflect the 19th century British setting, will be pertinent only to me and my book. But for now, let's get down to business. I have selected 12 particular examples from my edits, which are general enough for any writer to glean from. So keep listening for full explanations of what I was doing and why. Lesson number one, resist the urge to explain. What I originally wrote was... She was frightened, and that was well. God willing, she'd have nightmares of this place and never return. 
Basically, resisting the urge to explain is nothing more or less than choosing showing and subtext over telling and talking down to readers. The phrase comes straight out of Rennie Brown and Dave King's canonical self-editing for fiction writers, where they say, It is nearly always best to resist the urge to explain, or as we so often write it in manuscript margins, R-U-E. This tendency to describe a character's emotion may reflect a lack of confidence on the part of the author. And more often than not, authors tell their readers things already shown by dialogue and action. It's as if they're repeating themselves to make sure their readers get the point. My character's fear, as observed by the narrator, is completely clear from the context, both from everything that happened previous to this scene and from her high-tempered reaction and trembling hands. Readers don't need to be told she is frightened or that the narrator hopes her healthy fear will keep her out of other dangerous situations in the future. Which is why I completely deleted the phrase, she was frightened, and that was well. Lesson number two, avoid unnecessary word repetition. What I originally wrote was, indeed, she took a breath. But you know I know the truth, even if most do not after last night. Sometimes repeated words and phrases can be used to great effect for rhythm, emphasis, and even humor. But that is always a technique to be approached carefully, since clumsy repetition can easily jar readers and pull them out of the prose. I've seen books docked in review stars simply because repeated words bothered the readers so much. In this instance, I had to eliminate the repeated word, no, you know, I know. But I still needed to highlight the speaker's emphasis of her knowledge. Adding, of course, was a quick fix, which made the line of dialogue read, but of course, I know the truth, even if most do not after last night. Lesson number three, get rid of seemed and other weak inferences. What I originally wrote was, she hesitated, lips parted, her eyes softened. Lots of emotion seemed to be running around in there. Remember a few months ago when I posted an installment in the Most Common Writing Mistakes series called Inferring Non-POV Characters' Thoughts? Well, that post was inspired by my own persistence in using this sloppy technique in my rough drafts. Seemed and other similar inferences are usually an attempt to convey a non-POV character's thoughts or emotions without delving outside the point of view. The result, however, is too often another round of telling instead of showing. Sometimes the solution will be fleshing out the description to show readers the same facial tics and body language that the narrator is interpreting. Sometimes, as in my sentence, the emotion is already clear, and the only thing that needs to be done is cutting the word seemed. The final sentences ended up reading, She hesitated, lips parted, her eyes softened. A multitude of emotions ran across her face. Lesson number four, pay attention to where emphasis belongs. What I originally wrote was, but naturally, she would never admit that. There are good ways and bad ways to emphasize important points in your sentences. Or rather, I should say, depending on the sentence, some methods will be clumsier than others. One effective method of emphasis is to begin a sentence with a conjunction. For example, end or but. Although technically frowned upon, this has become largely accepted within casual writing in some fiction narratives. But... Despite their usefulness, conjunctions as emphasis are rarely an elegant solution. In this instance, my need for emphasis was better served by deleting the but at the beginning of the sentence 
and instead italicizing the exact word I wished to stress, that. So the new sentence reads, naturally, she would never admit that. Lesson number five, don't qualify your dialogue. What I originally wrote was, well, would you have gained the ear of those men out there if I had not been here? Throat clearing words like well, look, listen, and oh can be excellent dialogue aids because they are so common in real life speech and can evoke that same realism in our dialogue. They must, however, be used sparingly and only to purposeful effect. Too many of them will clutter your dialogue or, as in this instance, water down the effect. My character who is a straight-talking young noblewoman, doesn't need the hesitating well at the beginning of her sentence. It robs her speech of her natural forcefulness without adding anything in the way of meaning or characterization. Now the line reads simply, Would you have gained the ear of those men out there had I not been here? Lesson number six. Delete that unrelentingly. My original sentence read, She also had to know that he had saved her. I have to give my longtime critique partner, Linda Yezik, a nod for this one because I think of her every single time I see that in my work. She's always getting all over my case for letting this little parasite gorge itself on my lean writing. That is a filler word that, more often than not, is completely unnecessary. If you can delete that from a sentence without compromising clarity, do it. Linda will be proud of us both. So my sentence ended up reading, she also had to know he had saved her. Lesson number seven, streamline language. What I originally wrote was, is there aught that can be done for it? This is one that always has me thinking of William Broha, who is not my critique partner, but is the author of the awesome Write Tight, which again, I must thank Linda for. In a nutshell, never add a word that is unnecessary to your meaning. Write tight. Streamline your language. Keep your words and your meaning as tight as possible. It is amazing the clutter that sometimes fills our sentences. Once again, that is a frequent culprit, as it is in this example. But also notice how the whole phrase, that can, added words, but no meaning. So after deleting that can, my sentence reads, is there ought to be done for it? Lesson number eight, show, don't tell. I originally wrote, he let out a short chuckle, finding he was almost embarrassed to have his abilities proven so flawed. As we saw above in number two, regarding the word seemed and other inference words, sometimes shifting from telling to showing is as simple as deleting a few telling words to let the showing words shine through. Here, instead of telling readers the narrator was finding he was almost embarrassed, I can let his thought stand on its own for stronger effect. The sentence now reads, it was almost embarrassing to have his abilities proven so flawed. Lesson number nine, mind the motivation reaction unit. Regarding the same sentence, I originally wrote, he let out a short chuckle, finding he was almost embarrassed to have his abilities proven so flawed. I also switched around the order of this paragraph a bit to allow for a stronger motivation reaction unit. Remember, the motivation reaction unit, or MRU, is supposed to present a logical order in which the character's reactions are shown in the sequence they actually happen. Thought, action, speech. In this instance, first the character is embarrassed, then he acts upon that embarrassment by covering it up with a chuckle. The sentence now reads, 
it was almost embarrassing to have his abilities proven so flawed. He let out a short chuckle. Lesson number 10. Bold reminders to fact-checked. Sometimes when we're writing along, the last thing we want to do is break out of the zone to fact-check. Whenever I'm writing or editing and feel it would be counterproductive to hop onto the internet to research a questionable fact or word, I'll simply bold that word and move on. Later, after I've finished the first draft, I'll go back and double-check all my bolded words. Lesson number 11. Ensure pronoun antecedents make sense. What I originally wrote was, Believe me, she said, he is a genius with physics. I had him make this for me this morning. He darted her a glance. I love referring to my characters by pronouns whenever possible. This is a technique that subtly deepens the intimacy of the narrative, except when the pronoun's antecedent, the person or thing to which the pronoun is referring, is unclear. Whenever there's a doubt about clarity, always name your character instead of opting for a pronoun. This is true even when the last possible antecedent was mentioned in dialogue, as it is here, and therefore couldn't logically be the character referred to in the next sentence. Even though readers might recognize or figure out that the he at the beginning of the next sentence isn't the guy mentioned in the dialogue, they can still experience a split second of confusion. A split second is a split too much. In the new version, it reads, Believe me, she said, he is a genius with physics. I had him make this for me this morning. Will darted her a glance. Lesson number 12. Use paragraph breaks to punctuate dialogue. What I originally wrote was, yes, he said, I will, the next time I am dizzy. He corked the bottle and secreted it in a coat pocket. We touched a bit on this last week in the episode on paragraph mistakes. In this instance, even though it might have also been technically correct to keep all the dialogue and its action beats within a single paragraph, A little bit of breathing space makes for better timing and better emphasis. Here we have the character performing an action that literally stops his dialogue. He puts the bottle in his coat pocket, then looks up. Furthermore, when he does finally look up, he's going to change the subject and send the conversation in a new direction. As a result, the paragraph break made good sense. The situations and challenges you will face as you figure out how to edit fiction will, of course, be vast. The 12 points I've highlighted here are just a few of the many things to watch for while you're correcting your stories. I hope this candid peek into my daily process has offered you some clarity and inspiration in your own editing process. So head over to your manuscript, pull out that red pin, and start making your story even better than it already is. Thank you for listening to the Wordplay Podcast. To read a transcript of this episode, you can visit my website at helpingwritersbecomeauthors.com. And be sure to check back again next week.